First Torah lesson of the week, we are learning the book of Bereshis, the book of Genesis, where we are exploring the mysteries of creation. We've had a little bit of a hiatus. I wasn't here for the last two weeks, so we're going to be picking up from the last time we were together. Uh, we had finished up the second day of creation, which ended up in verse 10, 9. No, I lie. Verse 8, and we are now going to be doing verses 9 to 12, which go and describe the third day of creation, which equals out to what we commonly know in the Gregorian calendar as a Tuesday. Now, Tuesdays are very good days for us, and we are going to find out why. What I'm going to do is initially just read initially just read to you the verses we are going to go through and then go back and uh, get some deeper understanding. As always, I welcome conversation and comment. Uh, you can call on 010-140-3020 or you can WhatsApp 061-895-1012 or SMS as always on 34519. So let's get stuck into the third day of creation. I'm just going to read the English so that we are all on the same page. It goes as follows. God said, let the waters beneath the heaven be gathered into one area that the dry land may appear. And it was so. God then called the dry land earth and to the gathering of the waters he called Seas, he called them seas, S-E-A-S. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, herbage yielding seed, fruit trees yielding fruit, each after its kind, containing its own seed on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, herbage yielding seed after its kind, trees yielding fruit, each containing its seed after its kind. God saw that it was good, and it was evening, and it was morning, a third day. So quite an action-packed day um, in terms of things happening. And what we find is that the third day actually is a continuation of the second day of creation. Um, if you go back to the podcast, you will hear that the second day of creation was about God separating the waters, um, the, the water that seemed to fill the entire space of this universe, and he made upper waters and lower waters. And uh, we spoke a lot about the creation of heaven and all its hosts, the, there are actually seven heavens, um, and uh, that really was dealt with on the second day, but that job was not completed. It spilled over, and excuse that pun, it spilled over into the third day, and it is on the third day then that God takes the water that covered the earth. At this point in time, we do not see land. There is now a planet that is completely covered with water. In fact, our rabbis say that uh, that abyss that they talk about in uh, chapter the early early verses that there was a uh, a tohom, okay, where it says 
וחושך על פני תהום, that there was a darkness on the surface of the deep, that תהום, the rabbis tell us, is the water that covered the entire planet. God gives a, uh, a, an instruction now to that water to gather together into one area. And what happens when that water um, gathers into one area, dry land appears. And that's really the first verse. Verse 9, God says, Let the water beneath the heaven, that's the lower waters, be gathered into one area that the dry land may appear. And it was so. And then we get God saying to that the dry land, which in, 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 in Hebrew is called Yabasha, Vayikra Elohim la Yabasha Eretz. He called that dry land Eretz, earth. Ulemikve hamayim karayamim. And to the gathering of the waters, he called them Yamim, seas. Now there's quite a, a lot to learn. Uh, from this verse, the first is is that the waters were quite uh, quite arrogant. They wanted to, to embrace and to encompass absolutely everything. And when God went and gathered them into one place, initially there was one big sea. It says that um, the, the 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 waters. Wanted to to rebel and they wanted to go and cover again the entire globe and God said you cannot do that and what he did was that he actually created a boundary a border for the seas and that in fact was the sand that really explains why in the majority of, uh, of places where you are going to see the water come up. To, to, to the land, there is a border called sand, and the sand actually demarcated for the water where it could, you know, where, where its boundary was. Now, that, this concept is a very, very interesting one because, you know, water in Kabbalistic terms represents pleasure. And, uh, one of the, the things I think that, 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 that we, uh, we indulge in a lot, particularly in this day and age, is pleasure. We look for anything that is pleasurable, be it physical, be it emotional. You know, we go out, the whole marketing world is there to sell us products and make us do things because they come, they, they feel pleasurable. And like water, really, if you spill a glass of water on a table, it will spread out wherever it, it, it can go. And uh, pleasure has that concept that pleasure doesn't really know a boundary. It can spread out and it can encompass a tremendous amount of place. And there is nothing really intrinsically wrong with pleasure other than that we need boundaries around pleasure because pleasure can be so unbelievably powerful that when we leave it unrestrained, it actually can become a very, very painful and very difficult tool to, to, to use. It can actually cause pain, not necessarily pleasures. But in the name of pleasure, we will do it, but then it doesn't, it, it doesn't become something pleasurable. And what God did over here was he created a very, very clear 
demarcation for the water to say you're allowed to come up to here, but no further. And this is a lesson for us human beings today that when it comes to pleasure, we can indulge in delicious food. We can wear beautiful clothing. We can, you know, uh, allow the environment around us to give us pleasure. But we have to have demarcation. We have to have boundaries because if we don't have boundaries, we will find ourselves in an insatiable place that we cannot fill ourselves up and eventually then that pleasure becomes destructive. We understand that when waters um, overstep their boundaries of the sand, when we see the concepts of a tsunami, we see the concept of where water oversteps its boundaries, that is when uh, we find ourselves in a lot of trouble. So the very first lesson where God gathers the waters into one area and demarcates them is a very, very powerful lesson for us in our daily lives. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, I've just gotten an SMS requesting that we dedicate today's learning. Le'iloi Nishmat Yitzchak Ben Herschel. May his neshama have an aliyah. We are discussing chapters, uh, verses 9 to 12 of the book of Genesis, chapter 1, where we are talking about um, the day, the, the creation of the day. And the first thing we spoke about was the ingathering of the waters and the lesson we learn about water being a metaphor for pleasure, that we are allowed pleasure in this world. We're here to take of the pleasures of God's beautiful world, but they have to be within boundaries. Otherwise, Pleasure becomes something that is pretty destructive. Now, there's another lesson that we learned because when the waters gathered together, the verses tell us the following. It says, the um, terae hayabasha, you could see the dry land, the, the, the dry land appeared. Now, one of the interesting ideas here is if you listen very, very closely to the choice of word, yabasha, yabesh means dry. How possibly could the land have been dry if we just went and said a few moments ago that the earth was covered completely with water? It would probably have been more probable that the earth would have been a soggy, mush, muddy um, swamp that needed uh, uh, time to dry out. So the rabbis come and teach us that, no, on the contrary, the land was as dry as it is today. It was perfectly dry. And uh, from the wording, we get to learn that the earth was already dry even before the waters were gathered, meaning that the earth understood that it was going to now provide a dwelling place for humanity, uh, provide a dwelling place for all of God's creatures. We were going to, um, it's, that's going to be our habitat. That's where we are going to stay. And it was so excited in fulfilling God's, uh, word that it dried up even before the water was removed. Now, one of the ways that we actually learn about this is that you can see what God called this dry land. Okay, it says, hayabasha, the dry land may appear. And it says, eretz. God called this dry land earth, Eretz. 
Okay, we know that when we talk about the land of Israel, we say Eretz Israel. Um, what is the Shorish? What is the root of the word Eretz? It's ruts to run. And here is another powerful lesson for us that just as the earth ran to do God's will, they anticipated, they knew that they, it was going to be, not they, it, I guess, knew it was going to be a place of habitation for, for humanity, for, for the animal kingdom, for the plant kingdom. It was so excited to fulfill the mitzvah that it anticipated it and it, it dried itself out before the waters disappeared. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that when one has the opportunity to do something good, one should not delay. One should do it immediately. As the Torah teaches us, one doesn't know how long he will live. And so one should not say, ah, if, you know, if I do it today, if don't do it today, it doesn't matter. I'll do it tomorrow. Because one may, by delaying, depart from this world without ever having completed the good deed. So it's a lesson in zrizut. Okay, in, 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 in being fastidious, in seeing an opportunity, and if there is that opportunity, grab the opportunity, be like that dry land, and go out and, and do what you can at the first instance that you can, because you never know what will unfold moving forward. So that's a very, a second very interesting uh, lesson just from the way the world, you know, the words played out. Now, one of the other things that I'd like to bring to everybody's attention is the fact that when one understands how the world developed, today we're actually getting a, a glimpse into how the world as we know it came into being, the mountains, the high peaks, the seas, the beauty of it all, uh, the Torah teaches us that we need to be very appreciative and we need to be very connected to the fact that nature in its beauty and in its glory is the handiwork of God. And we are taught that when one sees mountains, high peaks or the sea, one and one hasn't seen it for 30 days, one must make a blessing. The blessing um, can be found in most of the Sidurim. Certainly I know that they're found in the Art Scroll Sidurim. The blessing is as follows, Baruch Atah, Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. I'm not pronouncing God's name because I ain't looking at a mountain now. But um, in teaching, blessed are, are you, Hashem, King of the Universe, Ose Maase Vereshit, that you are the maker of the work of creation. So um, if one goes, uh, goes on a, uh, a trip to Alaska or one sees, you know, tremendous beauty, uh, we don't really have to go all the way to Alaska. I think that Cape Town would count very much um, as part of it. You see beautiful mountains, high peaks, or the sea. Then you say the blessing, Bereshit. that is if you have not said it in the last 30 days. You haven't seen that in the last 30 days. There's one exception, and that is that when one sees the Mediterranean Sea in particular, Meaning, we say, if we go down to Cape Town, we see the Atlantic Ocean, we, we see the Indian Ocean, um, all oceans fall under. But if one sees the Mediterranean Sea, which obviously leads to the Holy Land, then the blessing changes from to Baruchata Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Blessed are you, Hashem, King of this universe, Ose Hayam Hagadol, He who is the maker of the 
Great Sea. And I would assume that there is an exception, and this is this is my understanding. Um, I haven't got a hundred percent clarity as to as to uh, what it you know why the rabbis deemed it, but. When we look at the Mediterranean, we've got to understand that the sea was gathered all over and then God moved it and put boundaries on it. It moved away to reveal firstly the land of Israel and then the rest of the continents. So the sea that is found very close to the Holy Land, we make a special uh, blessing on it, maker of the great sea, Oseh Maaseh Bereshit. Now, Verses, um, the, the, the one last verse that finishes up the culmination of the second day. We are on the third day, but it is the culmination of the second day's work. God says, let me gather the waters under the heavens into one place. Let dry land appear. Vayikra Elohim Yabasha Eretz. God calls the dry land earth. God calls the gathering of the waters yamim. Here the word yam is singular. Yamim means plural. And the rabbis pick up on that and saying that although that single gathering of waters diversified throughout the dry land, it actually formed separate seas. The truth is that it came from one source. And uh, Rashi says a very interesting um, idea over here. He says, although all the waters really formed one great sea, God calls them yamim, seas in the plural, because the fish caught in Akko do not have the same taste as the fish caught in Aspamfa, Aspamfa, which some people say is Spain. And here is like just a glimpse, and I will be sharing more of that as we get along into the understanding of, of, of the, the complexity of the world, of how the rabbis knew a lot, a tremendous amount about astrology, about botany, about um, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, long before we, we had the secular knowledge that came into this world and we had scientists that actually looked at it all. Here we've got Rashi saying that it's called Yamim, the sea was called Yamim because you will not find the same species of fish um, all over the world. It will depend on the different parts of the waters, which shows a diversity. God saw this separation, this dry land appearing, and this, the water in gathering as good, and he says the words ki tov. Now here is a very interesting idea, is that if you look at in today's um, Creation, the, the creation that happened on Tuesday, God says the word Kitov twice. He finishes off now the separation um, of the dry land and the waters, and he says the word Kitov, and then he gives an instruction for the vegetation to grow, which we are going to get into uh, much more detail, and at the end of that, he says again, Vayar Elohim Kitov, and he saw it was good. Which means that Tuesday, out of all the days of the week, has been blessed Kitov, that it was good twice. And we don't let any minute um, miss us. Jews are known to use Tuesday as the most blessed, uh, blessed day of of the week of the, of the working week obviously Shabbos is the most important day but of the days of the week 
Tuesday is the most blessed and it is a custom that on Tuesdays we will go out of our way, for example, to get married because it has a double blessing of Kitov. Kitov. It is a very good day to do good things, particularly when one is setting up home. That is in opposition to Mondays, where we spoke about Mondays. We have the, we have blue Mondays and the reason why, um, there are blue, blue Mondays is because Kitov is not even mentioned once. The Kitov that belonged to Monday only was said on Tuesday because that's uh, that's when there was completion. Very interestingly, our Torah teaches us that on a Monday, one should not set a dowry on that day, nor open a new business and not begin anything new, simply because we know on Monday, and you can go back and listen to the podcast, strife and purgatory were created on that day. And Monday has harmful aspects. That's why, quite frankly, all of us wake up on a Monday and we find it very hard to get out of bed and to get going. So Tuesday, nevertheless, is a fantastic day because we have the words Kitov twice. Uh, An invitation to all of you out there, if you have any questions or you have any comments on what I'm sharing, please join into the conversation. You can SMS on 34519 or you can WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. Do you feel, do you find Mondays particularly difficult? Um, Has anybody out there got married on a Tuesday? I'm going to raise my hand on that one. Um, are you were you were aware that there actually are there's different energies for each and every single day? Are you in tune with those energies? Let me know three four five one nine. Verse eleven uh, begins then the description of how organic life came into being, um, and we have the 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 instruction from God: "Tache haaretz deshe." Let the earth sprout vegetation, herbage to yield seed, and fruit trees to yield fruit each after its kind, each one containing its own seed on earth. So what we have over here is that now we are the, the, the earth, which was just dry land, I guess dry soil, in my mind's eye, starts to sprout and we get vegetation, we get herbs, we get fruit trees and they're all sprouting now according to God's command. There's a lot of comments as to what was this um, herbage, Asif Mazria Zera, um, you know, Rashi goes and, uh, sorry, not Rashi, Akedas Yitzhak, a commentator, says this is the wheat and the vegetables that don't grow wild. Okay. Rashi says that deshe is a general term for all vegetation. Um, Asif is specific to grasses. Um, Rambam and the Radak, two other commentators, explain that deshe refers to a young plant, um, while Asif is a mature plant. And so there is an, there's a whole discussion as to what it is that, um, that, 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 that came about. But was, what was very, very interesting is that it was a sprouting. 
meaning that all all these all this vegetation all these herbs all this grass all these fruit trees sprouted out from the earth but they didn't grow fully into a full garden we are taught by the rabbis that they sprouted out and they waited till the sixth day when adam was created that he could pray for rain and once the rain fell that's when they came to fruition into fruition they they grew to its fullest now just as we had the water giving god a little bit of uphill we actually also find the trees having a bit of an argument or a bit of a a uh, a parting of understanding with what god wanted god commanded that we should have aids pre i say pre leminoi that there should be fruit trees that create fruit according to its kind but when you go and read what actually happened that would be verse 12 the tote haaret deshe the the earth brought forth vegetation the asif mazria zera leminehu the herbs the grasses created um seed seed after its kind you will see there it says the eights i say pre the words change and you'll have a tree that creates fruit the command if you go back to verse 11 says eights pre a fruit tree i say pre that makes fruit so god said let the fruit trees create fruit but what actually happened is that the trees created fruit what happened here the fruit tree part got dropped off the fruit part of the tree got dropped off so we are told um that what happened was that initially the plan was that the 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 trees all the trees in and of themselves were, were were edible the trunk the branches the leaves the fruit that's how god created the trees initially and that's why he called them eats pre a fruit tree you're going to be completely edible and you're going to make further fruit you're going to to, to you know make the next gen- generation and the trees got really really nervous um and thought well what's going to become of us we are going to be eaten up completely and then we will not be able to procreate we will not be able to make the next trees and so when they they sprouted they made their barks and branches and leaves inedible and only gave uh, forth fruit that's why we have when they were created that it was an eight ose pre um that it was a tree that made fruit and god got really angry with that um and that's why when we and we will get into it into much more detail when we get into the story of adam and eve sitting in the garden of eden we're talking about a tree and the trees got cursed um because they did not listen to god now one of the interesting ideas over here and lesson again that we can learn as i said every part of creation there is a lesson spoke about the waters and about the fact that we should have boundaries we spoke about the dry land and that we should have an energy we should have a zrizus we should have an enthusiasm to do things as soon as we can what do we learn about the fact that the tree did not listen to god and eventually got cursed well many many times in our lives we are faced with challenges or obstacles or decisions we have to make and the torah is very clear the torah is an incredible 
uh, a book that teaches a, a lesson about absolutely everything. And there is a correct way to behave. But we in our minds sometimes think ourselves bigger than who we are and that we know better than God, whether we spoke to the prime minister or the psychologist or the whoever it is, or that we read this or we read that. This is the way the world should be run, not the way God should, should, should run it. And the lesson here is, is that since God is the manufacturer and he knows every single intimate part of creation, we need to know that we have to abide with God's will, God's reasoning, even if it doesn't make sense to us. Because if we are like the tree, then we land up being cursed because surely, surely God would have made a plan um, had the tree been eaten up because it was completely edible, that there would be another tree. He was a manufacturer after all. So that's a very, very powerful lesson that we can learn from this. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Welcome back. And uh, Ronnie's just dropped an SMS. Are you saying that Mondays are not blessed? I'm not saying the Torah is saying Mondays were not blessed insofar as the word kitov um, it was good is not pronounced. And yes, the rabbis do say that Monday's energy um, for positivity is not as great as perhaps Tuesday and any other day where the words kitov are said. And so we kind of like just stay away from doing new things. Also because um, strife, machloket, was uh, created on that day. If you want a little bit more of an explanation, then feel free to go back to my podcasts and you will be able to understand it further. But thanks for that comment, Ronnie. Right, let's try finish up. So the trees were um, the, the the trees defied God and landed up becoming cursed, and so. God went and said, then you too will suffer when we, when, when, when it comes to, um, the Garden of Eden. Now, one of the most important creations that happened on the third day, on Tuesday, um, and this is a discussion in and of itself, probably could take hours and hours. I'm literally going to be skimming past the idea. But the rabbis teach, and this is in, in, in the deeper teachings of Torah, that the Garden of Eden was created on this day. Just as the world started sprouting all its vegetations, there also was the creation of of, of the Garden of Eden. And uh, there's a, a lot to be discussed about this Garden of Eden, Gan Eden. We kind of use it in a metaphorical term to mean the epitome of pleasure, the place of, 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 of great blessing. Um, and, you know, there is a discussion, is it somewhere physical or is it a metaphorical concept? Um, both can, can be true, are true. Um, and uh, the rabbis describe, be it physically or metaphorically, I'm not sure, you know, if anybody has found the Garden of Eden yet. Um, on this planet, but it said that it had 800,000 types of trees, 500,000 types of, uh, of, of fruit. It was a very beautiful place, abundant in blessing, abundant in, in, in everything good. And this really was where, um, Adam and Eve were supposed to be placed and serve God ad infinitum. But we do know the story that Adam and Eve were placed in there. I think they lasted close on three hours and then things started to unravel. But we're going to keep that discussion for when we get to those verses. Nevertheless, um, 
the, the Garden of Eden was created on this day. We are also taught that the tree of knowledge, the Etzadat, Tov Vera, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, had wood that had the same taste as its fruit. Um, and it was only afterwards that the trees were um, cursed by by the sin of Adam and um, the the barks of the trees and the you know lost lost its flavor. Pretty interesting over here. What I want to just also bring, and again, this is going to be a quick skim over because it's pretty elaborate, but. Just as we described um, in 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 the podcast um, before this one regarding the heavens, that in fact there were seven heavens that were created. In fact, we are told uh, by the rabbis that seven earths were created, one above the other, and in between each one there are subterranean waters, and they give names to these earth. One is called Eretz. Then we've got Adama, Gay. Nashia, Tzia, Arka, and Tevel. Uh, the rabbis teach that we live on Tevel, which is the largest um, earth of them all. And the reason why we have seven earths is that they parallel the seven firmaments, each one um, having its own uh, its own purpose. Um, and the Zohar goes and says that you know, whatever is happening in earth and all its ramifications, we have a mirror image of it happening on on a planet earth, I guess. Um, again, you know, the discussion can be, are they physical reality or are they a, a metaphor? Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's pretty hard to, to, to understand it from a physical. I would go with the metaphorical ones. I'm going to read to you a little bit of what is said. Again, this is just information. Um, unless one is really steeped in the teachings of Kabbalah, you know, one can't really understand it in its entirety. But here's a little bit of a taste. It says the first habitation um, is very dark. It doesn't have any light whatsoever and it is a place of winds and storms okay and the winds that blow in our world we don't see them but it comes from this world and there is an angel in charge of this first habitation called Eretz um, and this angel's name is called Tahariel okay and um, he 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 he's in charge of that earth the second habitation has some light it says here there are angels who cause people to do wrong and advise them to walk in an evil path and there's a great angel by the name of Kadumiel in charge of those of of this earth it says the when a Jew keeps God's commandments these angels will ascend to heaven and report it to God and similarly the vice versa is also true the third habitation contains light and flames, um, which are channeled into Gehenna, into purgatory, to punish the wicked. And there are four. The, the, here we find the angels of destruction, under the angel called Samael. Um, he is not a very nice angel. We don't even like pronouncing his name. Um, they try to trip people and try to give uh, get people onto the wrong path not a great place to be not a great angel to meet not nice to be under their influence at all 
The fourth habitation is a bright place. Here lives many perfect and merciful angels under the direction of the great angel Padael. He has the keys of mercy, and when he sees a person trying to repent or pray with feeling, he opens up the gates of righteousness so that their prayer and their request is fulfilled. The fifth habitation is the brightest of all. They contain angels of fire and water, um, and the angel Kadashiel is in charge of, of, of them all. And here is where the angels assembled to sing to God um, at daybreak and then when it gets dark again. The sixth habitation contains angels which God sends on special missions according to his will, and the angel Uriel is in charge of them. And finally, the seventh habitation is our world, which is the most important of them all. Um, and this is where we need to keep our focus because this is where it's at. This is the center of the universe. And just very interesting, just to make a point that um, the first land to be created, the first place to be created was Jerusalem. In fact, the Evan Ashtia, the, what's called the Stone of Foundation, it was from there that the world, the dry land, um, started to spread out. So the first uh, land to be created was the Holy Land, and then it all spread out to all the other lands. And this perhaps is very much an explanation as to why we have this obsession, um, not only now in our time, but for the last 5,700-odd years of creation. There's always been an obsession with the land of Israel and uh, it being the eye of the universe. And it, it has to resonate in a subconscious way in the consciousness of mankind that you know everything that has ever happened to us did start from that point. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. And we're going to wrap up the third day of creation. It's a shame that we can only like squeeze so much into about 45 minutes. I just want to focus a little bit about on our planet that we call Earth, um, which in Torah actually has four different names. Um, we're told that we can call this planet Eretz, Tevel, Adama, and Arka. Those are the four names in Torah that are given to this world. And um, we are taught that they actually denote um, the four seasons. Eretz denotes spring at the time when obviously we know that fruits begin to ripen. And that is coming from the verse called roots, roots meaning to run. They ripen quickly. So Eretz is with spring. Um, Tevel denotes summer. That's when the fruits acquire flavor. It has a tavalan, a seasoning, and therefore the word tevel um, is given to, to, to earth. Adama denotes autumn because that's when the land dries up and forms clumps of earth, Adama. And Arka denotes winter because that's when the earth is empty, rake, from Arka, rake, and there no fruit remains. So that is a very interesting thing that you will you will see that we will be able to call planet Earth by four different names. One of the interesting things also that um, you can read, particularly in the Ma'am Lo'ez commentary of the Torah, is that the Earth 
in the various places in the, all these habitations, there is um, there is the creation of certain bizarre creatures. Okay, and this, I guess, is the source of the the, the secular mythology that then kind of like takes things out of con- context. But there is the concept that there are certain bizarre creatures, some that have two faces, some four, one have single sides, all sorts of things. There's also um, the concept that 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 in, to, in in the creation of Tuesday we have a, um, a very small people. Uh, created like pygmies, I guess, like these little, like, you know, you think of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, these little guys. And the Torah goes, it says they appear disfigured. They have two holes in their heads instead of nostrils. They have poor memories. Um, they're, 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 they're all over the place. And so, you know, the Torah is replete with all of these, these, these creations. Um, but I think the most important thing to understand, and this was something that uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory said to somebody, I think, who came from NASA. I stand to be corrected if it was from NASA, but somebody who was involved in looking for extraterrestrials. Like you asked the Rebbe, are there extraterrestrials? And the Rebbe did not say no. He said, and if there are, so what? Meaning, like, what so what if we have pygmies? What so what if we have bizarre creatures? Or what, so what if we have seven earths and seven heavens? What the Torah comes to teach us is that the world that is of most importance for for which the rest of the universe and its entirety and everything in it was created was planet Earth. We are sitting in the most important planet on the, on the most important planet, and while there can be and are. Creatures and and universes and and cosmoses and whatever you want surrounding us, they're all in service of God, but they're all mechanical in that they just follow God's world. A word, our world, where we live, is the only space that God created where man has uh, a freedom of choice, and we are here to make a dwelling place for God on this planet. And this is probably the most powerful lesson of this um, creation on, on Tuesday is that we need to have an appreciation, A, to have an appreciation that we have an incredible opportunity here, an incredible opportunity of a lifetime, that we are put on this planet for 70, 80, 120 years to make this place a better place, to get connected with the purpose of creation and to to, to build on this, uh, in this world, the world that we know, a garden of Eden in so far as that it is a world of peace, of kindness that exhibits all the, the good traits of God, that there are other, other existences, that there are other creatures, other worlds. Yes, there are, but they're there just to support this world. It's not for us just to forget our purpose and go and look at everything else. So, I'm going to leave you with that. We've learned quite a few lessons today. I hope you have found them enlightening, and I wish you a wonderful week, and please, God, I will be back next week.